welcome to the ECE Quality Ireland podcast. I'm Celine Govern. And I'm Paula Walsh. And today we are going to be talking about the topic of risky play. And with us today, we have a guest who is um, an adjunct lecturer at um, two different colleges um, teaching early childhood education with a specialist interest in this topic of risky play. Um, and it's Leah Russell. Hi, Leah. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks very much. Good, good. So maybe before we start, you could just introduce yourself a little bit in terms of who you are and what you do and your interest in this topic of risky play. Yeah, sure. So I am um, a lecturer in early childhood education. I just said, Paula, I work for um, Progressive College. And um, I work for National College of Ireland as well. So across the two. Um, and I've been working in early years, probably for about 18 years now, I think. I know I don't look old enough, but <laughs> fortunately I am that old. Um, so I suppose I've, I've over the years, I've kind of worked. I started off on community employment, studied at my level five, six, went on and did a degree. Um, and then I was working with Better Start and I got the opportunity to do my master's then when I was working with Better Start. So. I'm now currently in the process of uh, writing my proposal to, to do the EDD then as well. So hopefully eventually I'll have, have the EDD. Um, so in terms of, I suppose, my areas of interest, very interested in play and how that kind of supports children's holistic development. And in particular, as we kind of had a little chat beforehand, when I was doing my own master's, I had, uh, or sorry, when I was doing my degree, I have two three children, two girls and one boy, and kind of what I started to notice was differences in how they played. Um, and that was kind of what brought in my interest around kind of rough and tumble and that idea of risky play. Um, so that was what I focused on when I was doing my um, thesis in my degree. And yeah, that kind of, I suppose, really, I'm just really interested in play and how, how children use play and how it kind of makes sense. You know kind of their experiences and the world through play yeah yeah and I suppose we talk about play a lot don't we and we hear about play a lot and play-based learning and child-directed play etc we are less familiar I think with the concept of risky play so I suppose before we really get into the nitty-gritty we need to define that don't we what do we mean um when we speak about risky play what does it look like you know what would you say um it looks like what what do we mean Leah so I think it's it's really just you're you're really putting me on the spot now so to be honest sorry. to define it but I suppose uh it's just that I like it could be anything it could be climbing up stairs mm. it could you know it's some kind of element of risk and that's you know a, a child might fall or might have a little tip but those things are important as well and, and sometimes now I think we're getting very to the point where we don't allow children to have those little falls those little tumbles and how do you know if you hurt yourself how do you know you're going to be okay unless you've yeah. felt that and you felt okay so yeah. I suppose that's you know you're, we're seeing more and more anxiety and stuff like that in children and I firmly believe it's because we're nearly protecting children from taking those little risks but in terms of definition I think it's just more, like things like where there's just a little bit of risk involved there's a little bit of like even just climbing the steps to a slide or, you know, kind of climbing up for all of those type of things really is risky play. But yeah. I think as well, what we have to think about is play 
and how we we think about play and that it's self-directed by children because sometimes you know and it's been my experience definitely over the years that adults tend to step in and start to kind of let's do this and let's do that and let's do the other and that that's not really like that's not really play play has to be obviously we like you're saying we've child directed and we do have an element of adult directed but we still need to let the children take the lead and kind of pursue in whatever it is in that situation yeah I think it's important in terms of defining risky play I think you know to think of that we we think about it's risk and not danger not dangerous play risky play so from the from the the perspective of the child that they perceive some element of risk um, Mm. and that they have to experience that feeling of you know negotiating that sort of risk and how they're going to approach a particular task or um you know how they're going to feel as you said they won't know to develop that resilience and that sort of oh I was a bit nervous but I wanted to do it and then I did it and now oh I can do it and they have that sense of of achievement so it's I think it's the controlled risk not dangerous not like you know broken sharp edged things and you know and developmentally age appropriate things so it's the child isn't it really feeling a bit of risk yeah. as opposed I mean, to like, being danger I, like when I first started to work in a setting it was a high scope setting and I remember actually a preschool inspector coming in and uh the children at the time had access to like hammers and nails and and she I think she was training somebody and now it was back you know kind of not not the new inspections that we have now it was a long time ago um and she was training somebody in or she'd something and, and actually it was funny because you know everybody you know they used to say preschool spec- inspectors were really strict and you know you'd be afraid and whatever and actually the trainee said to her oh wow like they're like I said okay to be using the hammer and that's not really dangerous and she said well at the end of the day a pencil could be equally as dangerous mm. as a hammer or a nail you know which is completely true like you know if it's a sharp as like just I was just thinking when you were saying Paula, like it's a sharp yeah. object do you know what I mean absolutely yeah and there's I know there's loads of research out there into that area now in terms of you know um bringing real life tools and things like that but again yeah. it's bringing it in in a way that's appropriate you know it could be just a rubber mallet and you know um a big lump of styrofoam and some golf tees to be hammering in you know like it doesn't have to be nine inch nails and a claw head hammer you know what I mean it's you're bringing it in in a way that's developmentally appropriate and I think for me what 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 it's about it's not about the actual task at hand of you know hammering in this golf tee into this styrofoam it's the learning for the child when we think about that holistic development and and the child learning it's the learning for them for the child in that you know I can do this this is something that I can do for myself I'm capable I'm confident you know so it's it's almost it's it's okay they're learning to do this you know fine motor skills and we all know all this stuff but it's the deeper stuff it's that kind of person that little person that's learning and what they're learning about themselves that's the important part and it's the greater good I suppose do you know yeah that's interesting actually because we the new we were we were just briefly looking at the new um the new draft Aster yeah 
and we were talking about the word when we discussed it the last time. Remember, we were talking about agentic and what that yes. meant. And that's an example of it, isn't it? That being able to do those things for yourself, that they're agentic, you know, they have that control over this task, you know, and they yeah. feel that sense of responsibility and, you know, been able, an achievement, you know. Yeah. yeah. And again, it's something that I think we like we do tend to take away from children a lot is and I like as a as a as a mom, I suppose as well like you know you've got the whole mommy guilt thing going on and you know because you're you're a working mother and you need to be doing things for them but by doing things for them and not giving children the chance to do so for themselves they're not building their confidence they're not building their independence you know yeah one of the biggest challenges I had as a provider was in terms of, of bringing risk into the classroom um was when I introduced into the home corner real Delph um off I went to the charity shop and you know bought all the 50p mugs and 10p saucers and all this kind of stuff and you know my educators in fairness to them were freaked out by it and completely understandably because we had you know overnight and this was just me on a whim of course you know we had been all plastic or whatever and I obviously read something or I'm a devil for constantly researching and going down holes and I came out of a hole one evening and decided this is the way we're going. And I didn't introduce the odd concept to anybody. And I arrived the next day with a bag of goodies and they were completely thrown, understandably. And they raised the risk question. And there is no doubt that, you know, we lose. I don't know how many times everything is replaced. It's, it's a constant replacing, replenishing because they get broken. Think children drop things and things get broken. But I suppose you risk assess, don't you? And you weigh it up against the real learning in those situations. You know, now I have, you know, moved, if I can buy stainless steel, you know, stainless steel teapots, stainless steel gra gravy jugs, you know, if I can get my hands on them, they're real world and that's what I do. But I do like to have some real crockery in. But that in it, you know, so risk isn't always with the hammer and the saw and the nail and the gun. It can be exactly. with items that children yeah, are experiencing yeah, exactly. in their real life anyway. Yeah. Or even just trans, you know, kind of transporting things like, you know, the heavy box of blocks and, you know, like anything like that. Definitely. It's it doesn't have to be something, as you're saying, Paula, like that's dangerous, I suppose. It's more that little bit of risk involved it's it's kind of managing learning to to pose like maneuver and um assess what the risk is for themselves and and be able to and like that like that and I say this to my students a lot as well I always start with the really old you know the old photographs on Ashter the image of the child yeah. and you know the children are looking it's always my first lecture with any group that's always where I start with is the image of the child and you're looking at the children, even, you know, kind of this um, almost like stepping stones, little wooden stepping stones. And one of the little girls has little sandals on her. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, oh, my God, like, oh, that's so dangerous. I'm like, really? OK, let's just think about this now for a minute. What's going to happen here if she falls? Mm. Like, What's the worst thing that's going to happen? She's going to maybe graze her knee, you know, um okay maybe there's going to be an accident chances are there won't you know you know what I mean like something serious which is not what we want obviously chances are it's going to be a small little graze we've all had those and we all know what that feels like and if we never got as I said before if you never got to feel that yes. then how would you know what it what it feels like to fall and what it feels like to get back up and just dust yourself off and continue on with what you're doing 
Um, and if as an early years educator, like you're risk assessing and you're kind of mitigating against any major accidents that are going to happen, you're weighing it up. It's not the same as a parent to leave your child playing with something and walk away. You're in an environment where you're supervising the children. Do you know what I mean? And you're you're kind of measuring that risk and you're 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 watching what's happening. You're they're supervised all of the time. So there's not going to be any major accidents. Yeah, it's yeah. just little bumps and it's that and that's part of childhood. Exactly. It's the planning around the environment and the resources you're going to provide. You know, it's the tr being appropriately trained, you know, adhering to your ratios and choosing things that are, you know, developmentally appropriate in terms of that risk benefit analysis of, well, if we, yeah, we could keep the plastic plates, but what are they actually learning then, you know, in terms of don't carry too many because if it falls something breaks or you know so it's life skills isn't it really you know yeah, yeah. and even I've been in settings where the children even at meal time self-serve which is risky as well if you think yeah. about it okay it's not risky in terms of you know maybe having a little tip or a, a little bang off something but it's risky in that they're you know spooning their own food they're pouring their own drinks using like you know the cutlery and the daft like you were saying but there might be at the start a couple of little accidents, a couple of little spillages, but then they do learn to to manage that situation. Um, like what it's great for as well is like if you if you if children who struggle to kind of eat or whatever during meal times, they're serving themselves. So you know, there's nothing worse than somebody if you're not really in the mood to eat, like getting a big plate of food put in front of you. You know, mm, so yeah. that kind of they're more likely to take the little bits if they're fussy with food and stuff. And like, there's so much more to it than just yeah, yeah. I'm going to spoon you know there, there's so much more just to, to the practicalities of it because the, the child is just learning so much from it. yeah so I think it'd be interesting to chat about then you know in terms of not just thinking about the preschoolers but if we think about maybe the babies and toddlers what does risky play look like in terms of of that age group mm. yeah this is something I, I only take children from two up mm. So, and I have never worked in a room of babies. Imagine I've never worked in a room of the in under twos. Yeah. Um, it's something I, I really need to do, isn't it? I really need to get into a really good under two room and see how it works in reality. But yeah, I mean, I have no idea about what risky play would look like with a one-year-old. You know, in I do, of course, on a one-to-one, -one, like with my granddaughter, for example. But, you know, in terms of having six in a room what might it look like but even those small low sort of structures that are yeah. on the floor for just you know crawling up to and climbing over yeah would be risky play or maybe the softer and um, that soft stuff I don't know what it's called you know that plastic covered soft stuff they have like balance beams and things you know or mm -hmm. the, the wider ones and to cross over crawl over like a bridge or whatever or you know, to, or do you know, even say cushions, like to pile up a couple of cushions and then sort of mm. roll off them. Like, I presume that would be risky. Yeah, that's what I, I was thinking of, something like a sensory crawl where you kind of have, um, it's still soft, but there's different, um, you know, kind of different heights to the objects that are underneath and that kind of maneuvering around and stuff. And then like I've seen um, in settings, 
you know, where they'd have the, like, I mean, I would think it's a risky play and that it's probably not something that a lot of people would do, but, uh, you know, kind of the, the young babies stripping down to their vests. And then like, I always try and think of when, when, when young children, when people are doing like learning activities or experiences with really kind of under two is that I, of that whole body immersive experience rather than mm. just dipping your hands into something and I remember being blown away in a setting when they were doing uh, painting with the babies because they had them in their um, vests obviously parents provided you know vests. They, they knew what what happened in the sentence they were yeah. happy enough for that to happen and what they did was they put um like a tough tray type of thing on the floor and mm. it was painting that and the children were in that and then they had um like um, a water kind of a water basin then so when the children were finished playing with the paint they'd crawl over or maybe you know wobble over and then somebody would help them and they'd get into the water oh. and that would be you know kind of wash now you're talking you know like three babies in a room yeah it was like you know I mean it was amazing like I just I've never forgotten it and it's, it's about god it must be nearly nine years ago now since I've seen it but I've never forgotten and I remember saying you know the, the babies are waddling around and um, they were saying well we're lucky because we have a floater so she can come in and help you know during that kind of cleaning up time or whatever and I was saying like you know about the kind of environment and do they put the handprints everywhere when they're with the paint and she was like no like if they do we just wipe it off it's grand like and you know but like to, that's kind of you know that's a risky play in that it's maneuvering their little bodies in do you know in that way and getting into the little tough trays with the support of i personally anyway that's what i think yeah and what it made like the surface being like slippery kind you know in that of course yeah it is absolutely risky play that's really high quality practice yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And and again, you know, it's possible because of the ratios and because of the floater and all of those things. And 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 also, and I think this is key, that was um that was achievable because of the educators, the environment, and because of the willingness of parents to come on board. Yeah. And yeah. that I wonder, you know, nearly in every podcast we do, Paula, we discuss barriers to whatever it is we're discussing. And there are barriers to risky play, aren't there? Yeah. And, you know, there are many barriers. And I wonder if some parents, not because they mean to or not because they want don't want their children to experience, but because of a lack of knowledge or understanding that they may become a barrier um, to risky play. Uh, and, and that's something that it's, it can be tough to navigate that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it is. It's get it's getting the parents on board, really. Like, and I suppose, like, you know, it's it's. I'm not gonna lie. It's been a while since I've worked in settings, so mm. you know, I kind of try and and talk to the educators that I'm I'm working with, and you know, like I can't say, but that this will work. But for me, I think if most parents, if you really kind of have a good relationship with them, and they understand where you're coming from and they have that trust in you that yeah. they will kind of open up I mean like yeah I mean Jesus I've uh I have you know children of my own and you know you can see that at times things would be you'd be a little bit hesitant about stuff you know yeah. but I think that yeah definitely um 
I, I think approaching it in that way with parents as well so recognizing like what are you worried about and like explaining them it's about having the time isn't it to build that relationship and explain and, and help parents to to go on that journey with you I suppose yeah, and I think we are going through a transitional stage at the moment um you know Lee as you said you haven't it's a while since you've been in a you know working um in a classroom setting definitely COVID has um made huge changes so um, we are finding that for people who've had their first child or maybe the first and their second child throughout that lockdown period, that the way that those children were raised without the benefits of playgrounds and play centres and visiting cousins and rough and tumble with other children, that those children are now maybe two and a half, three, and that they have gotten to this point very differently to the way children were getting to that point pre-lockdown and we are in a transition period where we are only beginning to introduce these concepts when they come to us maybe at two and eight months and they have had zero risky play we are finding that children are coming in we have a rather in one of our services a very large climbing frame and it's, it's quite high and it takes a bit of work to get up to the top of it and we're finding children who used to just come in and run up the same age group now are coming in, standing, looking, negotiating, and they're starting to go up on hands and knees. And it's taking maybe from September to November before they're brave enough to get up on their, their feet and to walk while holding on. So definitely risky play um, was one of those things, unfortunately, that suffered during lockdown. And we are now, um, we're rebuilding all of those skills things that we never had to do when you work with age two and a half up you know we're now getting kids in maybe who are like an 18 month old physically um, and so we're having to build those skills so settings have changed a lot um, and I feel it's our job to allow all of that risky play to push back the chairs and you know what I mean? Let them climb under the table and over the table and around the table rather than sit at the table. I think that's our responsibility to help the children, as you say, embrace that feeling of, oh, gosh, I'm after falling. Oh, I'm a bit sore. Will I cry? Won't I cry? And to get up and to go on and keep going. It's a huge sense of accomplishment for them. Yeah. yeah. And I suppose I think when you think of, and uh, you know, I, I, I hate talking about school readiness, but sometimes that's the buy-in, I suppose, with parents. A yeah. bit, some you know, sometimes that's kind of how yeah. I think about when you think about school readiness. In order for a child to be able to sit at a chair, sit in a chair at a desk for whatever amount of time, they need to have developed their senses, they need to have a sense of balance, they need to have the strength and their muscles to be able to manage their bodies and do that. And how do they do that? By running around in the environment, by climbing, by climbing under things, over things, learning this, you know, kind of where their body fits, learning. What does it feel like to be upside down? What does it feel like to get into this little space? You know, all of these things they need so to feel to learn, yeah. to to be yeah. able to then sit in a chair and manage that their little bodies for whatever amount of time. Yes, yeah, so and even in terms of um, you know, it doesn't always have to be physical risk as well. Like you know, if you imagine in your outdoor area, if there's sort of trees or large shrubs that children can have that sense of oh I'm all of a sudden on my own but within the safety of the supervised yeah. outdoor space you know but I'm going to be okay because I know that the teacher the adult the educator whoever is nearby and I can just I can find my way back to safety yeah. you know 
So that kind of that social and emotional piece as well is really important. Yeah. And again, yeah. for being ready to go on to other areas of life, whether that be school or whatever, yeah. you know, to have that sort of sense of I am OK, you know. Yeah. And I can I'm OK and I can do this for myself and, and I'm going to be OK. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, yeah, it's, and it's you know, and again, or even for in terms of the outdoor space, you know, just that undulating surfaces and it doesn't always have to be climbing and the fall, the, 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 the risk of falling. You know, it's just that, you know, the change in texture or the change in yes. up and down and the bumpiness, whether it's on the little the trikes or the running up and down, you know, and learning to control their bodies in that way. You know, that's all you play too, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And think about like I always think about, you know, when you're walking by the schoolyards and the children are all out and they're just running and they're just running and running and running. And it's just the best fun. Yeah. And like that's, you know, it's it, I God, I remember when I was in school in primary school, we weren't allowed to run in the yard. We were only allowed to walk. Um, And when I think about like how. How ridiculous that is, really, do you know what I mean? Because, yeah, like you're. Assume, and, I, and I can see the reason behind it obviously we all know you know insurance is expensive and all of this stuff that goes along with that but you know when you think about when I think about being a child I think about running and chasing and you know and that's yeah the same feeling of being free of outside yeah 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 no it's, it's definitely it's so important and I mean it is something that we're expected to provide risky play if you look at the Yes. the early years education focused inspection guidelines but it doesn't tell us what it is it just what tells it us we need to you know provide risky play opportunities so it can be I suppose quite subjective and you know as we alluded to depending on the buy-in from the educators the buy-in from the parents what people's perception of risky play is and understanding the benefits of it you know is yeah. important so it is something we definitely need to talk about more with our students and you know when we're educating those educators who are going out into practice I think I always know when play in, in one of my classrooms is getting risky because it coincides with that moment when my heart starts to race a little bit and I say, oh, should I intervene? Do you know what I mean? And and I suppose, look, at 20 years ago, I wouldn't have even had the thought I would have just intervened. Whereas now and in the last 10 years, um, I, I definitely, you know, I take it in, I have the thought, I consider it, and nine times out of ten, I don't intervene, but I observe from a distance, and unless I feel somebody's going to get hurt, um, I don't I don't intervene. And then even then my intervention is not to stop, my intervention is to highlight, you know. Just we, I think we might need to be a little bit more careful just with this part of the game because I'm worried so-and-so might get hurt. And what can we do to, you know, and then I step back and let them negotiate again. But I always think I recognize where risky play is happening because I feel it in me internally, you know, and it coincides with that. Oh, should I stop this? You know, so for educators, I think it's really obvious when it's happening because the way we were brought up, Lee, as you said, not being allowed to run in the playground. And I know I grew up in a house. Um, uh, we, there's one boy, but he's the youngest. We, we were all girls and we definitely risky play was not, you know, we played with dolls <laughs> on the bedroom floor and that kind of thing. We definitely didn't do have an awful lot of risky play. So I know 
intrinsically inside me when risky play is happening in the classroom, you know, and yeah. my challenge is to not interfere. But then we, we, funny we, we probably did have risky play, though, in terms of when you went to play outside unsupervised, which is something that children aren't getting yeah. the opportunity to do a lot anymore. You know, yeah, or yeah, anymore. you know, I grew up in a housing estate in Dublin, I suppose. So and we weren't allowed out of the housing estate. That was the run. That was the rule with all of the parents. If we look out the front door, you have to be visible. That was just you knew you learned your boundaries. You knew you your learned boundaries. Your boundaries. So there was there was an awful lot. Of, we would have played rounders a lot, which had risk, and we were skipping ropes, marbles, all that kind of stuff. You know, we and of course there's risk involved in that. Of course there is, absolutely. Um, I suppose I'm talking about more higher. You know, when I see them climbing on the tables and and putting a chair on the table and trying to reach. Oh know, yeah. I'm kind of going, ooh, you but know. But I think the onus is, is on us to, to, we do need to provide that risky play because so. it's not necessarily something you get to the same extent in your home life anymore, mm, you know, in so. playing outside as much. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So I think it is important. But maybe we might talk about, um, if you're happy to move on a little bit, Celine, to some, to, 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 to talking about maybe, as an extension of that, we had a chat earlier on with you yeah. around another sort of area of interest of yours is the extend and risky play into the introduction of, you know, playing with weapons in the whether it's 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 with actual toy guns or, you know, something that symbolizes a weapon in the environment. And, you know, we were chatting about the differences between between those two things and whether, again, it's something that we should be bringing in, that we shouldn't be bringing in, the benefits, the risks. So what yeah. are your thoughts on that? Um, actually, it's funny that, because I was just thinking that when you were saying, Celine, about having the, that you've got a younger brother and, and, and your sister. So as I had mentioned, I have two girls and my youngest is a boy. And yeah, I kind of noticed his play was quite different. Mm. Um, Having access to all the same toys that were in the house and it would have never been something that we would have, you know, like buggies and kitchens and all that type of stuff. But he, he definitely was, I know, it was more into the that kind of rough and tumble stuff. But actually, what when, when you were talking about that discomfort, Celine, when you start to feel, you know, kind of that things are getting maybe a little bit risky. Something I remember that really stood out to me when I was uh, researching for my um, thesis was that we sometimes because boys have that little bit of, um tendency to go that way where girls because they're more social boys are kind of a little bit not all boys obviously and not all girls but most boys kind of are a little bit more physical a little bit more kind of rough and tumble where girls are more social so they carry out that role play part where they're you know kind of playing games that everybody has a role and then because the boys maybe are getting a little bit more physical a little bit more boisterous as educators, we might be inclined to try and gear and, and kind of almost push them back towards that quieter stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember reading that and thinking, wow, I, I can't I can't actually remember who it was that, that I, I read it from, but she called it the othering of boys. And she was saying like, you know, that that and, and it's funny because we I, well, I mean, I know from growing up and, and from going to school, you had that thing where the boys are bad and the girls are good. Girls are always really well behaved and the boys are they're always messing and they're always, you know, play fighting and all of those things. And it's that kind of um, again, it's coming back to like, what are what are the children learning about themselves when we behave in this way? And mm. um, which I just thought was really interesting. 
but um the rough and tumble stuff then yeah was something that I really kind of got into and um that idea of uh role-playing superheroes and weapons and all of those things and I I suppose what what we were talking about a little bit later a little bit earlier on was that idea of you know knowing the children that you're working with and you know if they're playing with I mean we've all played you know those games where uh cops and robbers bodies and goodies and all of that stuff and all of that is how children make are making sense of what they're seeing on the television you know even in like even if it's just cartoons and spider-man and all of those things Mm -hmm. that's how they're making sense of what all of that means what does being good mean what does being bad mean they don't really know Mm. so they're trying to figure that out and you know a lot of um of this like of this stuff that I saw I did lots of recordings of um children playing just kind of naturally playing and a lot of it was about that goody and body and you had like fireman Sam and he was here to rescue the day and you know all of that stuff and it was really you could really see how the children are just figuring that out what it feels like to be a hero what it feels like to be a body as well and you know kind of uh, uh you know just re- I just thought it was really interesting to watch I just I'd go into this stuff for hours <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, really, it's really sorry for interrupting Paula I was just saying to you earlier on like that across my my services we don't have any guns and we did like way back we did and I remember the educator saying we want rid of those because of the way that they're playing. And now that I'm listening to you, Leah, I'm realizing um, that what we're actually doing by removing them is we're removing the opportunity from them to work out those roles, the good role and the bad role that we're just stopping at yeah. dead tracks and we're not giving them the opportunity to work through it themselves. Now, I think one of the problems that we had and this was before we went outside, as we are now, you know, in a confined classroom space when you've got children running around playing cops and robbers and they're running through the home corner and knocking the games. And do, you know what I mean? The te- the educators understandably went, oh, my God, get rid of these things. They're causing mayhem. But I think I might actually start. Um, I, might, I might reintroduce them certainly to, to one setting and see how it goes, because I think you're right. I think it's providing an opportunity for the children to work out these things that they're seeing in real life anyway yeah yeah, yeah okay and and I think what what I, I saw what I read as well was like um I, I was saying to you about the fact that we had a, a no guns policy that was it blanket ban no guns even if the children were you know inevitably making guns out of blocks I said to you mm. they're making it out of crust of their toast they were just you know it just was something that they wanted to do and they wanted to figure out and they obviously wanted to work out those roles but I had the two well the two lads two boys they were cousins dads were brothers and they were soldiers so straight away in the morning they come in and put on the camo gear and take on the role of the dads and then you know we'll be told there's no guns guns are guns are bad we don't have guns and it's that kind of now you've got this thing where the child is trying to figure out okay if guns are bad and my dad has a gun because that's his job what does that mean and that was a lot of the stuff that I read coming from the US obviously because they've been in a a lot of you know active conflict they have a lot of um families that are you know in the armed forces and but even things like if your dad's a prison officer if your dad's or mom or mom sorry I know I said dad but you know parent let's say parent 
if your parent is a guard, if your parent is a prison officer, if he's a security guard or, you know, all of those different things. Yeah, and as you're talking, I'm thinking I'm in rural Ireland now, right? The vast majority of our parents are farmers. There's There's a gun on every farm in Ireland. And most of our parents are active members of the gun club. Yeah. So they go out, they go out shooting on a Sunday morning with their dogs. It's all you see them all in the village and they're all in the gear and they've all got guns. And and then we're in an environment where we're going, no, don't do that. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to role model your your, your dad or your mom, either in their job or in their hobbies. And yeah, I can see how that that's that's I'm I'm withholding opportunities. Yeah, but I thought it was very interesting on something you said before we started recording, Leah, because I don't know whether I would introduce guns into a setting, as in toy guns. But I think, and you alluded to this when we were talking earlier, I think there's a difference between us providing toy guns Mm -hmm. and allowing them to play out that role with other symbolic items like a stick. Or I remember when I was in practice, children making guns out of Duplo you know, yeah, um, and that we never stop them. I, I think that's okay, but I okay. don't know whether because it can be that that pe- that that stick can be a gun today and a magic wand tomorrow. You know, so yeah. whereas as yeah. you said, I think it was you said earlier, Andy, a gun will only ever be a gun, really. Like you know, so I don't know whether I'd introduce them, but I uh-huh. certainly wouldn't stop that socio dramatic play playing out those scenarios and you know working out because as you said it's so important to work out those those things around you know what's a goodie what's a baddie what role does is a does a gun play in terms of different jobs and different different things but um yeah I don't know whether I'd like to introduce actual toy guns though yeah I think I might have to do some research and see what they actually look like yeah yeah freaked out I have by them it's a it's yeah it's a very um it's a very different thing as well that like we were talking about knowing the children that you're working with and what their experiences have been mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah most children I know Celine you're saying that you know you've got children in your setting whose parents have you know would hunt and stuff like that whereas if you're in a more urban setting you're probably going to find most children haven't had experiences or seen no. a gun I know I've never seen a gun um I know I've seen on television, I know what it looks like, but obviously the age that I'm at, I understand that they exist. Where with younger children, it's a very abstract concept. It's like, it's like death. It's like heaven. It's like, you know, another country that I've never been to. It's just really abstract. So oftentimes it's us as adults placing our knowledge and our values on what the children are doing as well. But I think definitely, Paula, that's, you know, really what you're saying there about that, the creating of that of a gun out of whatever materials like even if it's just your fingers it's you know you're getting into your your symbolism you're getting into your literacy your numeracy all of those things you know just by doing something as simple as that yeah as well do you know what I mean yeah I'm just thinking don't loads of kids I'm after I'm on Amazon and I'm after looking up toy guns to see what you know oh my god some of them are very realistic no we're not going there the yeah. first thing that came up actually is that thing that you see all the time that kids use you know the nerf guns nerf guns yeah and we don't yeah. seem to have any problem with them sure we don't why well, is that god some of these are very real like they're like oh yeah yeah oh yeah and they are like there are some that are very real 
and, sorry, and, and just to, to what we were saying there, sorry, I, I kind of went off on a tangent, but what we were saying there in terms of knowing your children, like I suppose, Paul, as you were saying, that looks very real. As yeah, you were saying, amazing. the children who, you know, maybe we've got children who are um here for asylum and they've literally experienced very traumatic experiences. Or, you know, I did work with with children before who you know had like had a traumatic experience in their home where there was guns and you know so thinking about that is a very different scenario so it's like knowing um knowing the children that you're with and knowing what's appropriate and I suppose it's it's trying to like with everything strike that balance and think about what the benefit is what the risks are and you know what's the risk to this child is it going to traumatize the child is it going to you know really upset them or is it something and look you might find as well that that child might be the very one playing with the guns because exactly. they're trying to figure out what through. they've seen exactly Do you know what i mean so like there is a little bit of that and and that was something again that came up when i was reading that you know often what you'll see is children who who see these or have been in situations and they'll change the outcome or change the the ending of that play episode to resolve it for themselves yeah. I know we're getting like into kind of more play therapy stuff there but like I mean they'll do that for themselves anyway do you know what I mean it's kind of what they do so yeah this makes, makes so perfect much. sense yeah, doesn't it like yeah. they're working out their yeah. experiences and you know they're and, and children do that not only with you know things that you know very serious topics they do it with everything you know they're negotiating their way in the world and what their experiences have meant and working it out and processing all of that in their play and that's how I suppose play is so powerful isn't it but, and isn't this why we promote play all of the time yeah but I think and when they don't have the language or the emotional awareness to be able to just talk like we can that really upset me well not all of us can do that but you know what just happened there is really upset me you might that that's kind of how they figure it out and how they you know kind of they they make sense of it yeah absolutely and they'll keep doing it they'll keep doing the same thing until they figure it out and make sense of it do you know yeah. so that's why you might see the same play all of the time and mm. um, like that because they're figuring that out yeah and I was you know I was saying to you earlier on I had a discussion around I was talking to somebody yesterday about that we were going to be discussing this topic on the podcast and like that initially I initially my initial reaction was oh should you know like with guns, I think half the time the kids are only playing and, you know, it's probably the us as adults projecting onto them, you know. And then this person said to me, well, actually, in our practice, it was a very difficult topic because it did cause distress for a child who we had in our setting who had come from Ukraine and had had a very traumatic experience. And then there was people pretending to play with guns around him and it was very distressing. And I went, actually, that is we really need to be much more aware of that, don't we? Because, you know, we have so many families from Ukraine or from other countries, as you said, asylum seekers. On the news, we have, you know, what's going on in Gaza at the moment. Um, You know, so it's very, it can be everywhere, you know, at the moment, even if you're not directly impacted as an asylum seeker or whatever. So I think it is key that what you said was totally on point about, the importance of the interactions and the communication knowing our children knowing our families and um you know and working yeah. out what's relevant and meaningful to them you know in terms of our practice and where we go with these kind of things 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Completely agree. Mm. Um, Celine, your battery is running low, is it? So we're probably going to have to leave it there for today. Well, yeah, and I don't know where my charger is. <laughs> Not to worry, but you know what? I think we actually got through quite a lot there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, was, that was very informative. And it's really... It's really made me think about my practice, etc. And it's confirmed a lot of my practice for me. And I hope that that's what people will get when they listen is that it might help them, you know, think about their practice and reflect on it and, and maybe make one change or no change or but just to think, I think it's been very informative. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think we can see the positives of engaging in both risky play yeah. and even engaging in that kind of weaponry gun play, you know, but it's been important. I think that it's driven by the children through their play and their imagination, as opposed to, you know, ne not necessarily been that us as the adults put play guns in the environment, maybe. Um, <laughs> what would you, what would you like to sort of wrap up with Leah or how did you feel that went or is there anything that you would like? Um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm not a great rapper up. I'd talk for hours, girls. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel it went, yeah, I was, I was delighted. I'm sure there's, I'm probably thinking loads of other things, but I'm sure, you know, I'll always come on again if anything that ever comes up again that you want to, to chat about. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I suppose we'll just wrap it up by saying thank you to you, Leah Russell, for coming on and talking about these really important and interesting topics um, for anybody listening, this has been the EC Equality Ireland podcast, and you can listen to us through Acast, through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. So please like us, share it, and um, and we'll talk to you again next time. Bye. Talk to you next time. Bye.